0: Thank you. Incredible weather we've been having, isn't it? Not everybody's getting this. If you've been looking what's happening down in South Carolina and North Carolina, they're, of course, are getting the hurricanes. I saw a post on Facebook this morning. How many people know Mary Beth Osborne? A few people know Mary Beth. She used to teach out here at at middle school. Uh, She's in Hong Kong teaching right now. They have a cyclone going on. And Mary Beth posted a video of the chandelier in her living room swinging back and forth. It was like, ooh, storms. It seemed pretty fitting that these series would go into storms during hurricane season. It seemed that whenever Dad and I swapped stories about the time we spent together at sea, we always wound up talking about storms. We talked about how rough it got, how long it lasted, how sick Dan was. I began making trips with Dad on the tugs when I was 14. When I was 15, I got my first summer job working as a deckhand on the tugs. And then I joined Dad on the herring center when when I graduated from high school. So we had been in more than a few storms together. And the reason we ended up talking about storms is that the storms were what made the times at sea memorable. There were a lot more beautiful days than there were stormy days, but the beautiful days were all alike. It was Tolstoy who wrote, happy families are all alike, and every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. And uh, nice days at sea are all alike, but every storm was stormy in its own way. And some of the storms were dangerous, and some were scary, and all included me throwing up at some point. But even knowing that there would be storms, my father spent most of his life at sea, both as a child and then as an adult. And if you had have asked him why he chose a life at sea, even with the possibility of storms and the potential danger in those storms, I think dad would have just looked at you blankly, not understanding the question. Because in his mind, he couldn't conceive of a life that wasn't at sea. For Captain Burton Guptill, there was no other life than a life that involved going to sea, including the storms. He would have embraced the words of Vincent Van Gogh, who once wrote, "The fisherman knows that the sea is dangerous and the storm's terrible, but they have never found these dangers sufficient reason for remaining ashore." When we think of storms, most of us can think of a weather event or a storm that was memorable for us. Maybe Juan or White Juan, if you've been in Halifax for any length of time. I remember the Groundhog Day gale in 1976. I was in grade 10 when that storm went through St. John. In 1978, I was fishing with Dad, and we lost our engines in the Gulf of St. Lawrence off the northern part part of PEI, and I spent a night in a crazy storm. Uh, Probably wasn't that big of a storm if we had had engines, but not having engines made it a little more memorable. But there are other storms that we remember that don't have anything to do with weather. Financial storms, relationship storms, health storms. When I was a teenager, a young teenager, my father decided to make a career change And go back to school or back to sea. And that meant that he went back to navigation school for two years. That was a financial storm in our family. That's one of those things that we sometimes talk about and laugh about. About what those two years were like. Disease, divorce, death. They're all storms that have affected people at Cornerstone. And as long as we're on the journey called life, there will be storms. Some of those storms you might see coming. Others seem to come out of nowhere. For the next three weeks, I'm going to be looking at weathering the storms of life. Because here is the reality. Every one of us will face storms. As long as we're in that journey, we'll face storms. Storms will come. I remember a poster from my teen years that said, a ship in harbor is safe, but that's not what ships are built for. But there is no harbor in life where you'll be safe from storms. Sometimes we think we're safe in in a safe harbor and then a phone call, a knock at the door or routine doctor's appointment shatters that illusion. But with that being said, there are things you can do to make sure that you survive and maybe even thrive in the midst of the storm. So today's story comes from the Old Testament, a very familiar passage of scripture, the story of Jonah and the whale or, or the great fish, take your pick. And while the story of Jonah and whatever ocean going creature swallowed him is a great story, we're not going that far into the tale. We're starting with Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 to 2. Uh, the Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Am- Amidah, or Amittah. I get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Now it's my judgment against it because I've seen how wicked its people are. And so we're going to start here with the back story. The story begins with this man named Jonah being called to leave his life in the northern kingdom of Israel to go and preach in the city of Nineveh, which was located in what was then called Assyria and is now called Iraq. Now, we don't know a lot about Jonah. What we do know comes from an obscure reference in the book of Second Kings, where we read this. Uh, Jeroboam II uh, recovered the territories of Israel between Labath-Hamath and the Dead Sea, just as the Lord, the God of Israel, had promised through Jonah, son of Amidah, the, the prophet from Gath-Hephar. So we know he, who his father was, and we know where he was from. He was from Gath-Hephar, which no longer exists, but the archaeologists tell us was located just a few kilometers from Nazareth, where Jesus was, was brought up. In the book of Matthew, Jesus refers to Jonah as a prophet. I would think that having the Son of God refer to you as a prophet probably qualifies you to be called a prophet. So this man of God is called by God to deliver a message from God to the people of Nineveh. The problem was that Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria, and Assyria and the Israelites were bitter enemies. And God is calling his servant to go and preach in the very heart of enemy territory. Remember, Nineveh was in what we now call Iraq. If we pull down one of our trusty maps here, down here is Gathifar, just outside of where Nazareth is, and clear up here, about 800 kilometers away, about 500 miles, is where Nineveh was. A not an easy trip, even if Jonah wanted to go, and apparently he didn't. As far as Jonah was concerned, going to Nineveh was a terrible idea. It just wasn't going to happen. So if we keep reading, we discover that our hero makes a choice that will color the rest of the story, dramatically change his future, and make for a really cool Bible story in the end of the day. Jonah decides that instead of being obedient to God's calling on his life, that he will simply run. Never a good idea. We pick up the story in verse 3. But Jonah got up and went into the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Years ago when I was reading this New King James, I made an interesting discovery. In that translation it said that Jonah went down to Joppa, then he went down to the ship, and then he went down into the innermost parts of the ship. And the preacher, I mean, thought, whoa, the path away from God always leads downward. It's just preachers kind of putting things into stories, Right? Read way too much into it. You remember that Nineveh was 800 kilometers to the west of Gathaphar. Well, Tarshish was as far as you could possibly go in the opposite direction. If we pull up another one of our maps over here. Remember, that's where Nineveh was in what is now Iraq. There's Jopa, where he's going to sail from. And this is where Tarshish is, clear over in what is now called Spain. As a matter of fact, that is at the very edge of what they considered the known world. Once you went by the Iberian Peninsula, once you went by Spain, you are now into the territory where there would be dragons and there would be monsters, right? And so this was as far away as Jonah could possibly get a ship to go to. So you get the picture. God calls Jonah to go and preach to people he has no interest in preaching to. And so his first reaction is to run as fast and as far as he can possibly run from God. God says go east, he goes west. We keep reading. But the Lord hurled an awful or a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Now, if we started with the backstory, story, now we're in the storm story. These men had probably sailed in storms before, but the force of this storm was so great, we're told that it threatened to destroy their ship. Now, they don't have traditional hurricanes or cyclones in the Mediterranean because the area around the Mediterranean is too dry uh, in, to create hurricanes, but they have what are sometimes called Mediterranean hurricanes or medicanes, And these are small hurricanes. And perhaps that's what this ship and her crew encountered. The storm grew to the point that the crew started throwing their cargo overboard. And when the storm hadn't let up, they started to look for the cause of the storm. I love the fact that while the sailors are freaking out, throwing cargo overboard and fearing for their very lives, Jonah is down below asleep. As my mother always said, no nothing, fear nothing, Right. So he's down there sleeping away. They wake Joan up, tell him to start praying to whatever God he worshipped. Right? They're trying to cover all their bases. When I was in high school, I had a friend whose father was Catholic and his mother was Jewish. And uh, Danny always wore a Star David and a cross around his neck. He said that he wanted to touch all the bases just in case. right? <laughs> Did you know that, that sailors are really superstitious? They really are. Like, it's always been considered bad luck for a woman to be aboard a ship. Sorry, ladies. Now, you never whistled when you were aboard a ship because you might whistle up a storm. And a shark following your vessel was seen as bad luck while dolphins hanging around were seen as good luck. It's considered bad luck to change the name of a vessel. And if you have to change the name of a vessel, there's kind of a, a little ceremony that you're supposed to do in order to change the name of the vessel. You're supposed to write the old name down on a piece of paper. You fold up the piece of paper. You put it in a wooden box. You burn the wooden box. And then you take the ashes and sprinkle them at sea. And then you're able to... Rename the vessel without bad luck happening. That That's value added, by the way, something you learn new at cornerstone, if you ever need to rename your boat. right If we pick up the story in Jonah chapter one, verse seven, it says, "Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. And when they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Oops, right? So they're super superstitious and so they're saying, we need to find out who caused this because somebody must have caused it and they cast lots. You know the rest of the story. The crew demands to know what Jonah had done to cause the storm and he's like, Oh, nothing, really? Just running from God, right? And they apparently figured out that was a bad idea long before he did because their next question is, why? Why would you do that? Why would you run from God? And then their follow-up question was, what do we need to do to make the storm stop? And Jonah said, it's simple. Just throw me overboard. I seemed a little drastic. So they kept trying to get to the shore, but the storm got worse and worse. And finally, they spiritualized their decision. They pray about it. They pray this says, then they, the crew, cried out to to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh, Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin. Don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh, Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. And then they threw him overboard. (laughs) Oops. (laughs) And if you grew up in Sunday school, you know that a giant fish or whale came along and swallowed Jonah. He spent three days in the belly of the creature. Then he was thrown up on a beach where he immediately made his way to Nineveh to preach. The people repented, turned to God, which made Jonah cranky, but that's a different story for a different time. And seriously, don't get hung up on the whale and how that couldn't be possible. It's not possible. That's why they call it a miracle, right? Get into, well, why couldn't that? Because it said God brought the creature forth. Adam Clark, a couple hundred years ago, said this. It may be asked, how could Jonah either pray or breathe in the stomach of a fish? Very easily, if God so willed it. And let the reader keep this constantly in view. The whole is a miracle, from Jonah's being swallowed by the fish until he was cast ashore by the same animal. It's a different story for a different time. And uh, it's kind of a cool story, but what do we learn from it? What are the lessons that we get from the story? So here we go. First one is, not every storm is our fault. The first reaction of the sailors... ...was that they had done something wrong. That somehow they had displeased... ...one of the plethora of gods they served. Oftentimes when we experience storms in our lives... ...our reaction is, why me? And we wonder if there was something that we had done wrong... ...or something that we didn't do. Why did my spouse cheat? Why did I get cancer? Why did my business fail? But in the case of the sailors, they had done nothing wrong. Sometimes I wonder if we're being a little narcissistic... ...when we put the blame on ourselves... Somehow thinking the entire universe revolves around us. And the question, why me, implies to a, at least to a certain degree, why didn't this happen to somebody else? Why did it have to happen to my family? Why couldn't it have happened to their family? In the case of this story, the blame lay completely with Jonah. But there was no blame for the sailors. Storm happened, wasn't their fault. The second thing is every action has a consequence for others. If there's one thing I seem to come back to over and over again in my preaching, it's we are where we are because of the choices we've made. Jonah wound up in a storm because of a choice he made. Jonah got thrown overboard because of a choice he made. Jonah got swallowed by a whale because of a choice he made. We understand that there will be consequences for us because of the choices we make. But too often we think that we are indeed an island entire of itself. We don't want to acknowledge that we are in fact a piece of the continent and a part of the main. If you were paying attention in school, you'd remember Newton's third law, which says for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. And seriously, I wasn't paying attention in school, and I remember Newton's third law, right? And often, our choices, our actions, not only have consequences for us, not only as a reaction in our life, but for others as well. And so because Jonah was disobedient, he put the lives of the sailors at risk. When a marriage dissolves, the fallout extends to children and grandchildren, parents and friends. When God speaks to you about giving and you brace your feet and hold on to your money and say mine, which kind of makes you sound like a two-year-old, there are people who might never be reached because the resources aren't there. Bad business decisions affect not only the owner of the business, but his employees, his customers, and his suppliers. Someone commits a crime, they end up in prison, but their family pays the price as well. Before you don't do the thing that God wants you to do or you do do the thing that God doesn't want you to do, you need to ask yourself who else will this affect and how. The third thing is don't make major decisions in the middle of the storm. I'm not sure the only solution to the problem at that point was Jonah being chucked overboard. To him it seemed to make perfect sense. I'm here, I'm causing the storm, throw me overboard, the storm will stop. But I have to wonder if God, in his grace, if Jonah had said, hey, God, I blew it. I'm sorry. At the next port, I'll catch the next flight to Nineveh. If things would have changed. I mean, other than the fact that we would have lost a really great Bible story, right? Be careful about making big decisions in storms. Sometimes when we're in a storm, it's so close that we think this is the only thing we can do. I had mentioned about being in the storm in the Gulf of St. Lawrence when we had no engines. I quit that night. I was scared. I was sick. I was frustrated and I told Dad, if we ever get ashore alive, I'm done. And we got back to Paspebiac Quebec the next day. I had my suitcase packed at the rail when we tied up. And Dad convinced me to stay. He told me there would be more days without storms than with storms. And really, he said, what would life be worth if you couldn't go to sea? And besides that, he asked me how I'd get from Paspebiac Quebec back to St. John. I think that was a <laughs> winning argument at that point. <laughs> It was Robert Shuler, I embraced the thought that a sure cure for seasickness is set under a tree. Horatio Nelson said that. But it was Robert Schuler who wrote, never cut a tree down in the wintertime, never make a negative decision in the low times, never make your most important decisions when you're in your worst moods. Wait, be patient. The storm will pass, the spring will come. Which brings us to the next lesson learned in Jonah chapter one, verse 15 to 16. Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice. (laughs) Would have thought they had already offered him a sacrifice when they pitched Jonah overboard. (laughs) And they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. And so the fourth thing is that no storm lasts forever. Sometimes feel like we've been battling the storm forever. But the reality is that no storm lasts forever. King David wrote in Psalm 30, verse 5, Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. Every night has a dawn. Every mountain has a peak. Every storm has an end. It was Lena Van Zen who wrote No storm can last forever. It will never rain for 365 days consecutively. Keep in mind that trouble came to pass, not to stay. Don't worry. No storm, not even the one in your life, can last forever. Don't quit. You don't know how close you might be to winning. And when we're facing the storm, it seems like the storm will go on forever because it's right there. But every storm runs out of rain. The wind will eventually die down. For the sailor, the storm was over when, when Jonah went overboard. But for Jonah, the storm, not the physical storm, but hey, I mean, he was swallowed by a fish, thrown up on a beach, had to go to Nineveh. The storm continued for him. But for the sailors, the storm stopped. So let's pick up the story here in Jonah 3, 1-3. to Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh, deliver the message I've given to you. This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large, it took three days to see it all. Which brings us to the next thing we learn from the story, and that is the remedy for disobedience is obedience. You don't become a Christian because of how you live. You don't become a Christian because of what you do. That promise is found in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, when it talks about grace. It says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. But when you become a Christian, when you become a Christ follower, you're expected to obey the one you're following. Jonah didn't just apologize to God for not being obedient, he became obedient. We see coming back to the words of Christ when he told his followers in John fourteen fifteen, if you love me, obey my commandments. I don't know where you might be today, but if you're in a storm, I hope some of the things that we've talked about have been helpful. And you say, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah. Now the series isn't over yet. We've got two more weeks to, to find out some more things about storms, right? Hold on, hold tight, be obedient to God's direction in your life. You can't be obedient for someone else, but you will always be expected to be obedient yourself. And here's a scripture to hang, to, hang on to in the midst of the storm. Proverbs 10.25 says, When the storms of life come, not if, when the storms of life come, the wicked are whirled away, but the godly have a lasting foundation. Let me pray for you. Father, we don't know what storms there may or may not be in this room today, but you do. And Father, you haven't abandoned anybody. You're still next to them. You're still holding them. You're still whispering to them. And remind them, Lord, that you are there in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the wind, in the midst of the rain, that you're there. Just let them reach out and take your hand during this time. And Father, we commit each person here into your care. In Jesus' name, amen.